Buonasera! My name is Marcello. I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao! Come, follow me. Behind this 200 year old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima! Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze! Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search explore.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Are you, like me, a spinster? Are you single, child-free and tired of the stigma attached to your situation in life? Are you actually having a bloody great time living your best life while all of your friends are tied up with their husbands and kids? If you think being a spinster is actually pretty awesome and you want to change the old-fashioned narrative, you want people to realize that not having a relationship or kids gives you the freedom to live a fabulous life all on your own terms. If this is you, then you've come to the right place. If, on the other hand, you're a spinster who isn't feeling quite so great about it, you've also come to the right place because I want you to feel great about it. I want you to know that your life is just as valid, valuable, and meaningful as anyone else's. If you're also interested in personal growth and working on yourself to become the best possible version of you, then you're in luck because we're also going to be talking about my other obsession, personal development and how we can use the extra time we've been gifted due to our lack of relationship in children and use that time to really become the people we want to be. I'm excited and I hope you are too. Join me every Tuesday for episodes with just me or me and one of my brilliant guests. My name is Lucy Megason. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined. Welcome back to Spinsterhood Reimagined. Now, my guest on today's episode is the absolutely lovely Tess Waresmith, who is single and child-free herself, but that's not the reason I got her on the podcast. I got her on the podcast to talk about money, money, money. Um, I've only done one episode uh, with the lovely Jay Zygmunt talking about money, um, and I've been wanting to get somebody else on to chat about this, and then... Um, Tess actually reached out to me and I thought, perfect. Now, Tess helps professionals and entrepreneurs get their financial power back with no bullshit financial education without the jargon. She also teaches the basics of investing and sort of takes the fear out of it. She has a course which we do talk about in our conversation. We also talk about a topic that I love, which is money mindsets. So we have a good old chat about that. 
and yes, then all things finance and money. So I hope you guys will get something out of this episode. I'm sure you will. So without further ado, here is the fabulous Tess Wearsmith. Tess Wearsmith, thank you so much for joining me and a very, very, very warm welcome to Spinsterhood Reimagined. It is great to have you here. Now, let's dive straight in with your story of how you ended up going in this direction of helping women with finance. Tell us the story of of how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. So when I was first, well, first of all, thank you so much for having having me. I love your podcast. I think your message is so important and I love what you're doing. So thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thank you for saying that. For sure. So my money story starts probably when I was quite young. I was always very worried about money. My mother and my stepdad were constantly talking about saving enough money. We lived a very modest lifestyle. At the time we were firmly middle class and and definitely okay with money, but they drilled a lot of fear into me. I, I don't think it was intentional, but the, the messaging was always make sure you have enough money. Money is a scarce thing. And so you have to be really careful to make sure that you are doing everything you can to making all the smart choices so that you aren't in a position where you won't have money, which is a great message, but also created some scarcity and, and fear. So after I graduated into from university, I graduated into a recession and I couldn't find a job. And so I started panicking and I ended up working on cruise ships as an aerial acrobat because I couldn't find a job. That How was amazing. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, it was a very cool first job. I feel incredibly fortunate that that that, that happened. Um, but I thought, you know, I had just graduated from university. So I thought I'm going to use my degree and I'm going to go into finance or marketing or, or some quote, you know, real job. And I couldn't find anything. So I had been a a springboard diver most of my life. And that's, I went to college for springboard diving. And so that's how I ended up as an aerial acrobat on cruise ships. And the reason why that matters to my money story is that was an amazing opportunity for me to save money because I lived on the ships. Beers were a dollar in the crew bar. Cigarettes were a (laughs) dollar. Everything was very, very cheap. Thankfully, I don't smoke anymore uh, because they're a lot more expensive on land. And so I saved a lot of money. And right away, I I was hoarding it. And I I thought, okay, I have to do something with this. So by this time, I was in my mid-20s. And I thought, I am not smart enough or capable enough to manage my own money. So I'm going to hire a financial advisor. And I did that. And at first, I thought it was fine. I really just gave them my money and just kind of turned the other way and said, take care of it, you know, do whatever you think is best. After a few years, when I returned to land, I started to get more interested in what they were doing. They had sold me a financial product that I didn't feel super good about that I had ended up moving forward with. And long story long, after I dove into it, I found out that I was paying astronomically high fees and had been charged thousands of dollars over time. I found out that some of the investments in my account were duplicates. They were actually investing in the same types of things, but some of them just had higher fees. The financial product, which was an annuity, was better suited for somebody in their 50s rather than somebody that was in their late 20s at the time. And I learned that financial advisors get commission on on the products. And I knew a little bit about the fee structure. I understood that they were getting a percentage of asset of my assets that I was investing, which just means the percentage of money that I was investing. I didn't realize how much that compounds to over time. So when I did the math conservatively in that five-year period, I lost thirty to forty thousand dollars plus 
whatever that could have grown to in the future, given compound interest. And I was devastated. Once I figured all this out, I had a ton of shame, but I didn't really know what to do either because I was afraid that investing was too complicated and maybe it was something that I was not capable of on my own. So thankfully I was motivated enough or pissed off enough to do a lot of research. I read a ton of books. I took courses. I talked to millionaire investors. And what I figured out after all this research is that investing is truly not complicated. And the best strategies are very, very simple. Anyone can start doing it with, you can start investing with $50 a month if that's all you have. It's not just for wealthy people. You don't need a lot of time and you don't have to have a ton of money. But what you do need is a financial education, which I didn't have. And I ended up losing a lot of money because of that. So that's the reason that I started my business. And, and I'm really passionate about educating women on this topic in particular, because there is such a big gender wealth gap. And that's because, you know, women make less and earn less, and then they have less money to save and invest. And it perpetuates this, this wealth gap, which is a huge problem because when there's more money in the hands of women, it's magic in my opinion. And, and we make an impact in the places that matter. So now I started, I started this business as a side project to educate people for fun, but now I'm feeling more morally obligated because there are just so many women that feel like they're stupid and they can't manage their money. And that's just not true, but that's the messages we get. And so my goal is to bust myths about investing and teach women that it's it's easy. You can definitely do it. It just takes a little bit of education and, and an open mind. So that's how I got here. I love it. Thanks, Tess. Um, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on, but just to say from what you, one of the things that you just said is that I think it's often the case that women and myself included, not going to lie, because I've never been particularly good with money and I've certainly never done any investing or anything like that, but we'll get into that. But I think often women or rather perhaps men just sort of take on that role. I mean, I know this is a podcast about single people, but when we're you know, talking about people in relationships, men do often just end up taking on the role of controlling the money. And I think sometimes women, you know, who might want to be more in control of their finances end up not being just because that's kind of the way it tends to fall. Anyway, that is a whole other conversation. But do you know what I really want to start with? Because I just find this fascinating and I don't think it's talked about very much. Although it's something that I've talked about a lot over the last couple of years. I've been doing, oh, that's my, sorry, my my cat is lying next to me. He started scratching me and he started meowing because he's just woken up. Anywho, no um, hopefully he'll go out of the cat flap in a minute. But no, um, this is, yeah. So, so basically what I really want to talk about first is money mindset. Going back to what you were saying about how you grew up in that sort of fear and scarcity. And just very briefly about my own childhood, whilst I had a, an amazing upbringing in many, many ways, you know, we were really lucky. We lived in a nice house. We always had, you know, food on the table. We were very, very well taken care of. My, you know, my dad was a, was a criminal solicitor. Um, he worked his ass off, but he, we lived in Dorset, which is a county in the Southwest of England. You know, he didn't earn a fortune. He had three kids. Um, and, you know, and a wife to look after. And so money in our house, certainly the way that I translated it was, it was always a struggle. It was always, we can't afford this. Um, and again, don't get me wrong. We went on, you know, we used to go to France every summer camping and we went on holidays and, you know, we had a great life. 
but there was still um, a sense that there wasn't enough and dad had to work really, really, really hard to, you know, bring us the things that we wanted and and all the rest of it. And and I think it's only in the last couple of years that I've realised how my money mindset and the experience that I had when I was growing up has affected the way, you know, my relationship with money. And the reason I want to talk about money mindset is because I do think it's something that needs to be talked about more and that actually probably many people listening to this will be like, probably be going, what the fuck is money mindset? What is she on about? So Tess, over to you. Tell us what money mindset is and why where we need to do the work on it along with any other kind of mindset and why it's so important. I'm really, really glad you started here. Oh, and, good. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you why. So when I started my business, I kind of dove right into the tactical details of investing. And what I found found out very quickly is that even once women had the education and they knew what to do, they were still very nervous to invest. And there was still a lot of a lot of fear and anxiety around money in general. And so the more I have worked on my business and the more I have talked to students that go through my online investing program, Money Confident, what I've realized is that we have to back further and further and further up to understand why you believe what you do about money. And I just listened to a psychologist that was positing that most of your attitudes about money are formed before you're seven years old which I thought was fascinating. And so we could unpack all the different things that influence your attitude about money. And that can be anything from your socioeconomic upbringing, your race, your class, your, you know, any any kind of variable you had when you were growing up is going to impact your attitudes about money. And so to your question, like what is money mindset? And a simple way that I explain that is that is how you feel when you transact money. That is how you feel towards money. That's when you buy something, what is your reaction to that? If you make income, what is your reaction to that? And so if you have a money story that's a scarcity mindset, you never feel like there's going to be enough, you can make all the money in the world and you're still going to feel that way. Or you could never get started making money because you just don't believe that you're good at money because you know, you've been told that, or you hear that a lot. People say, I'm not really good with money. And a lot of times people are saying that because they've heard other people say that, or their parents said that. And the reality is they just haven't had an education to actually learn the basics of managing your money. So when it comes to money mindset, I think there's a few things that you need to do. The first thing is to really bring awareness to how you feel when money comes in and out of your life and and pause enough to question like why are you buying this thing why are you managing your money the way you do awareness is the first start to any kind of you know any kind of thing we're talking about right yeah Yeah. it's like bringing awareness to the problem so one thing I like to tell my students to do is to write a journal and we do this for a budgeting exercise because you have to get your financial foundations in order to figure out how much you can invest so they'll do a money journal sometimes or money diary and they'll write every single exchange, everything they bought for a month. It's a total pain in the ass, but it's worth it. And for some people, if they have a money mindset challenge that they need to work on or limiting beliefs they need to work on, I'll actually ask them to like make a note of like, how did you feel when you purchased that? Or like, why did you do that? And and it's very revealing when you not just do the budget. We talk about budgeting all the time. 
But like, why are you budgeting the way you're budgeting is a really important question. And so I love the money diary to figure that out. And, you know, it takes work. The first step is awareness. The second, the second piece is figuring out what those limiting beliefs are. And then you actually have to do the work to make the change. And that can take some time. And and speaking very candidly, I still have a ton of fear around a fear and anxiety around money. And I still have a scarcity mindset. And I am a financial coach that is financially independent and can totally be work optional, or at least on a very, you know, modest lifestyle, I could live off my investments and I'm still have those fears. So like many other things that we work on, it's a journey and it's, you know, lifetime learner mindset's really important. But I think the first step is really bringing awareness to what were some of your beliefs about money, doing some exploration into understanding what your parents might've said to you about money and how that might be impacting your relationship with money right now. Because most people at the end of the day have a really toxic relationship with money and you can't unpack that until you, you know, go back to the beginning. Totally. Thanks, Tess. Two things. Number one, can you tell us why is it so important to shift the way that we feel about money? And number two, how do we do it? Sure. So the first the first thing that's really important to understand about money mindset is if you don't change it, you will self-sabotage yourself and you will make decisions that will prevent you from building wealth. So if you have a money mindset beliefs that that's either, you know, you don't believe you're deserving of money, you don't believe you're good at money, you don't believe that you're capable of making money, any anything along those lines, it's going to impact the way you interact with money and the decisions that you make. So for example, if you don't believe that you're deserving of money, when you find out that your coworker is making more money than you, you're not going to go negotiate because you're going to find a way to say, I probably like don't deserve to make that much because of whatever reason. That's just one example. So your money mindset is important because every single decision you make is going to come back to that. And it's the same with spending. If you feel like I'm never going to get ahead with my money um, because I'm bad at it and I'm a, you know, I spend money frivolously and I'm not good at managing my money, you're going to say, well, I'm not good at it anyway. So I'm just going to keep buying stuff that I don't need or I don't even want. You know, that's not a good investment that's not going to bring joy to my life. And by the way, I'm not into the scarcity mindset of investing that that's like we don't buy anything that brings us joy. Like you can you can build wealth for your for your future and also enjoy your life today. It's just prioritizing the right things. Quick sidebar. So that's why money mindset's important is because it's going to impact if you're building a business, it's going to impact your ability to charge what you should be making. I talk to a lot of women entrepreneur entrepreneurs that are wildly undercharging, haven't raised their prices in five years because they're afraid they're going to lose clients. They're afraid the money isn't going to come in because they have that scarcity mindset. And inflation has gone up in the United States 19% in the last five years. So if you haven't raised your prices in five years, which is something I see, especially in the last two weeks, actually quite often, you are making, even if your revenue is the same, you're making 20% less. Like you have to raise your prices. So that's why that to answer your first question, like that's why money mindset is so important is it yeah. because it it will Im- directly impact the decisions you make that are going to help you build wealth or not. Yeah. And then the second piece to start to unpack what those things are is doing some of the asking some yourself some of those questions. You know, I love the money journal and understanding like okay, I bought this thing, like how did that make me feel? Spending going on money dates I love money dates once a week. You can start with once a week. Now I don't do it as much, but 
setting aside one hour a week, pour yourself some glass of wine, look through your credit card statements and try to get a feel for like, did you need all this stuff? Why did you buy it? Did it actually make you feel good? And then also there's a lot of great prompts um, online that are, you know, will ask you like, what did your parents believe about money? What did you think about money when you were a child? And I think unpacking the childhood piece and then also figuring out how you feel when you transact, those two things can get you really, really far in terms of understanding how to start changing it. Totally. It's so interesting what you say about how you feel when you transact, because this is something, as I said earlier, I've been doing a lot of work on my money mindset for the last couple of years, and I do various things. And one of those things is I've become really mindful about how I feel when I pay for things. And I've started, I mean, I started doing this ages ago, you know, months and months and months ago, but you know, for example, in fact, I was talking to a coaching client about this just the other day because we've been doing some work on her money mindset. And for example, when you're filling up your car, you know, at the at the petrol station, you know, the price of the price of fuel has gone up quite considerably. And of course, you can be standing there, you know, with a nozzle in in the car, like watching it just go up and up and up and up and up. It's like, oh my God, is it still not full? You know, it's gone up, like gone past 70 quid, 75. And I think in there there is there's something to say for tricking your mind in those kinds of situations. So I started doing it where every time I pay for something, I pretend this is going to sound crazy. Um, I pretend that what I'm paying, I'm actually getting, and I go, "Thank you, money," in my head. So every single transaction, I'm like, "Thank you, money. Thank you, money. Thank you, money." Because because correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's very much about being really, really great, or it's part certainly partly about being really grateful for the money that you have now, because that's what's going to bring more of it into your life. Whereas if you're just like every penny you spend, you know, you have to even be grateful when you pay a bill. Thank you for the electricity that this is providing me or whatever it is. And I know this is going to sound bonkers to people who've never, ever come across the subject at all before, but it really does make a difference, doesn't it? It's it's a life-changing attitude shift, 100%. Yeah. I mean, there have been many examples. When I first started, I do the same thing, by the way, so it doesn't sound crazy to oh, me good. <laughs> Um, So usually when I pay a bill, I'll, I'll in my head say, thank you. I, you know, especially if it's like the lights or something, thank you so much for lighting my house. That's a gift, right? So that's really convenient. It'd be very hard for me yeah. to do my job if I didn't have electricity. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for that. So shifting to a mindset of gratitude for what you can afford is really, really important. Even, even in emergencies, right? Like if you have gotten to a place where you've built up a little bit of emergency fund. Maybe you're not investing. Maybe you still have some debt, but you have enough money to pay for the new tires for your car. This week I had to put a pet down and it cost thousands of dollars oh, to do I'm it. Sorry. Are you okay? I am okay. Oh my God. Um, yes. What kind of pets? Uh, a chinchilla. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I can't, you haven't, sorry, I just there, laughed. That's so insensitive. No, I no, think, no. I didn't think you were going to say chinchilla. Seriously, are you okay? Are you... Yes. yes, I am oh. okay. But I bring this up for a reason. So yeah, she was adorable. She was 14. Oh. That's like 110 oh in human years. Oh, you're joking. How long had you had her for? So it's actually uh, ex-partners of mine, Chinchilla, and we oh. we split very amicably and I ended up kind of taking care of her. And so, oh. you know, I um, 
I bring this up related to money because it was very expensive to, I brought her to the ER. It was a whole thing. And, you know, I was at first when I got the vet bill pretty, it was, you know, over a thousand dollars for, for a, a few different things. And at first I was, you know, frustrated. And, and then I was like, no, this is so, I am so grateful that I was able to bring her here and have these nice people like take care of her and do this whole thing in a very like humane and mm. beautiful way. And that, and so I was happy to spend that money to make sure she was okay. And yeah. so I think that that's, you know, that's one example, but I, you hear people complain a lot. Oh, my pet is sick. Like I have to spend all this money. It's amazing that we have the services we do to potentially bring your pet back to health, right? That's something to be grateful for. Does it suck? And is there, you know, healthcare system issues and especially in the US? Like, yes, of course. But it is something to be grateful for that when you can transact and, you know, even if it's unexpected, even if it's over a thousand dollars and being able to to afford that care in, in an emergency that you weren't expecting, it's not part of your budget. Like that mindset is really, really important, especially in, in those types of situations too, in those unexpected situations. So everything from the the gratitude in the mundane and for when shit hits the fan. Yeah. I think it's really important. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, one thing I just want to say, in ca- because I imagine there might be people listening to this going, well, it's all very well talking about money mindset, but you know, at the end of the day, I've got to p- pay my bills and everything's really hard and I don't have any money and my, my salary is really shit and da, 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 da. there's going to be, I'm sure people listening who are feeling like, well, you know, how the hell is this helping me? So can you speak to that? If there are people who just are just feeling like, how is this helpful? This is just sounds like woo woo bollocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I So because I'm a only, I, I, I consider myself like a medium level woo woo. Uh, I, I come from a very pragmatic mindset. So money mindset, like I told you, right? Money mindset's not where I went first. I went straight to tactical education for, for money and, and financial coaching. And now I've realized this other piece is so important. And so my perspective on this is that you have to parallel process both things. I think it's really valuable to work on your money mindset, but you do have to take action. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation for somebody is that like, this is just ridiculous. And like saying money, you know, we talk a lot about money affirmations, like money flows in and out of my life with ease. Money is money is abundant. That's really hard to say when you're like having a hard time paying for petrol, right? <laughs> like that's that doesn't make you feel better. So there's some ways that you can adjust that. You can say, you know, I'm working on believing that money is abundant, whatever it is. But I think the other thing that's really important with this is while you work on your money mindset, or if you're not ready to do that, start with an education. Start by learning the basics of how to how to budget your money. Start by creating an emergency fund so that if something happens, you have some money. Choose a topic that is going to help you and your maybe it's salary negotiation. Maybe you're like, man, I know I could be making more money. I don't know. I'm not making enough to pay my bills. You're probably talented enough to make more money, probably deserve to make more money. So what can you do? Can you negotiate your salary? Is there another job out there? You don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to like fight for your salary, start an emergency fund, start investing. Like you don't have to do it all. But if you can pick a topic that you think is going to help you and start educating yourself. And if you're successful in that, then it's going to be much, much easier to start to make other changes in your life and then to address your money mindset. So people have different opinions on this. A lot of people say you have to start with money mindset. But if you're, like you said, if you're in that place where you're like, I don't have enough money like to be 
I can't just like dream and manifest money coming into your life. And I think that you can't, you can't just like think it. So you do have to do things. So what I would say is if you are somebody that really wants to change your financial trajectory and start by building knowledge, because the more knowledge you build, the less you're going to jeopardize your financial future and small changes can make a huge difference. Like realizing you're paying an extra 50, hundred bucks on a subscription. What if you put that to an emergency fund? Now all of a sudden you have a thousand dollars at the end of the year that you didn't have. So it doesn't take a lot to make a few small changes that can be really impactful. And I think money, obviously money is like a huge topic. So when we talk about it, there's a thousand different things you can do. So I would say start educating on something that, that you think will help you in your immediate life. And I think that's a good place to start for a lot of people. Yeah, that's great. Um, Tess, can you actually, let, I mean, let's start talking about the tactical stuff now. And obviously I want to talk all about wealth with Tess, your, your company, your business. Um, if if you had to say to the listeners today, people who are wanting to, you know, have more money, basically, um, what are five of these little changes that they can make to start moving them forward in in the direction of more dosh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So there in in the money confident program which is my online investing program i do this in a pretty methodic way intentionally and i think there's a clear order in, in how to approach things that works for a lot of people so the first thing that i recommend people start focusing on is creating a emergency fund in case something goes wrong you have the money to pay for something. And so that's something that you just put in a savings account. You figure out three to six months of expenses. You work on saving that for three to six months. And then you have that in there. That is a huge accomplishment and can create a lot less anxiety in your life. A lot of financial gurus will just say, like, start paying down your debt right away. I think the psychological win of having like seeing money grow in an account and having that money there in case something goes wrong is really, really rewarding. Now, I will say I've had a few people build that and then something happens and they have to pay for it. And then they're like, I just spent all that time saving that money. I'm like, but if you hadn't, like, where would we be? What would you be doing right now? Right. And then they feel much better. So I think that is the first step is really building a simple emergency fund that you can draw on and figuring out that number. There's also power in knowledge too, being like, I know I need this much money for three months if I lose my job or something happens. And then if you do lose your job, you have that and you know that, and that's really empowering. So that's the first step I would say. The second step, tackling whatever debt you have. If you have high interest debt, which is interest over six percent for most people um i'm not sure in the uk what the debt situation for like a student loan perspective or a mortgage perspective is but in the us it's most people have an incredible amount of debt and you mm. can't really start investing until you pay off high interest debt so the second the second thing would be coming up with a plan to pay off your debt you don't have to do it all right away but it's the same there's power and knowledge right if you know i have this much debt and these are the interest rates, and I can contribute this amount of money to it every month, that's a super powerful shift that you can make. So those are the first two things I would say that have nothing to do with investing, but are really important foundational steps to take before you can start building wealth. Yeah. So once you've done those two things, actually, any question, is there anything I should elaborate on there before I keep going? No, no, no. I mean, I think it's just, it, no, I think we're, I think we're good to move on to the ways that you 
would suggest that people can start to build wealth? Like you say, once you've got those two very fundamental things under control. Sure. So the first thing you need to do is understand how money comes in and out of your life and what your savings rate is or your personal margin. And that's just the difference between how much you earn and how much you spend. And the reason that's the first most important step is because you can make all the money in the world, but if you're not living below your means, you're never going to be able to build wealth. So a lot of times people jump right into investing and start investing a random amount of money with no thought into how much could I actually invest if I approached this in a methodical way and understood what my cash flow actually looks like? Cash flow meaning what money comes in and what money goes out. So once you've figured that out, that's a really powerful piece of information because then you can say, okay, like what are my goals? Where do I want to head? And goal setting is a key part of this. And that's actually probably before you even start to look at your full financial picture, figuring out what your financial goals are, are going to be really helpful to keep you motivated. So I think that's a really important piece here. And once you've done that, you can look at what is the gap? How much money could you start to invest for your future? Is there an automated amount every single month? Let's say you go through all your expenses and you pay all the things that you need to pay. You earmark some money for joy. You earmark some money for your emergency fund. What do you have left over to pay yourself? And that's the way I look at investing is you're paying yourself so that you can live a good life in the future. So once you figure that out, then you can set up automatic deposits into an investment account of your choice. Now, depending what country you're from, the investment accounts vary. The retirement accounts actually in the in England and in Canada are way better than the US. There's great options to invest in these accounts. You want to learn the basics of what retirement accounts might be helpful to you. I think you call them something different. And I'm trying to, is it a retirement Pen, account? Like pension. Pension. Yeah. Pension, yeah. Pension's yeah. the word. Yeah. Yeah. So those, there are pensions that you can open up on your own, even without through an employer. And I think that's one thing that people forget about is they feel like the only way to save for retirement is through an employer, but you can open, open up your own pension and you can select amount of money to invest every single month. And it doesn't have to be a lot. You can start with 50 bucks, whatever it is. Building the habit is the most important part of building wealth. A lot of people will say, investing 50 bucks a month is not worth it. You're never going to have enough money to retire. Honestly, that's true. Like you can't invest 50 bucks a month and build enough wealth to retire comfortably off that. But if that's all you have right now, that's okay. You can always build on that later. What you can't do is go back in time and invest more. And when it comes to investing, your best friend is time in the market because compound interest is the most powerful mathematical equation. And the earlier you start, even if it's small amounts, the more money you're going to have later on. So the first thing I would recommend if somebody wants to start investing tactically is to figure out how much money you can invest per month and then set a goal to increase that over time, depending on what it is. The second thing is figure out what types of accounts are available for you to invest in? Are there accounts that are going to help you save on taxes that are going to have other advantages? And that varies by country a little bit, but there's great options in Canada, US and London or UK, England. There we go. <laughs> in England. Um, I think you guys have an ISA. Is it? Yeah, or an, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am like not the person to, to ask about various different kinds of uh, investment <laughs> accounts. I, I, I can, I, I can share, so, so, I can I mean, share I'm, some... <laughs> I'm just listening intently to the information <laughs> you're about to share. <laughs> I'll share, I'll share the, the main difference between the, 
between different countries is just the vehicle, just the the name of the account. And so that's that's the first step. Figure out how much you can invest. Figure out what type of account. There's regular old investing accounts, brokerage accounts that you can open up just like a bank account. And then there's accounts that offer advantages from a tax perspective that you can use to help you retire. And those are great because usually they help you save quite a bit of money on taxes. So those are kind of the two options that you have. And then the last piece is choosing your investments. And this is my favorite part because everyone thinks this is going to be the single hardest part of investing. And it's actually easier than all the other steps once you learn the basics. So there are investments called index funds. Index just means list. And so if you've ever heard on financial news, the S&P 500 is up a certain amount of points. Dow Jones is down a certain amount of points. These things are just lists or groups of different stocks. And so when a lot of people think about investing, they think, oh, I have to go in and I have to buy Apple or Microsoft. I have to like learn how to pick stocks and learn how to time them and to figure out the right cadence of buying more and all of that. You don't need to do any of that to be a successful investor because historically the stock market has gone up over time, not every single year, but over time it goes up. So what you can do instead of trying to learn how to pick stocks is to invest in something called index funds. And an index is just a list or group of stocks used to track the performance of the overall stock market. So if you've ever heard the S&P 500, all that means is all that means is that's a list of the top 500 largest companies in the United States. Companies you've heard of, Microsoft, Apple, Google, all that. So you can actually invest in a index fund, which is a fund that invests in all those different stocks in the S&P 500. So an S&P index fund is just a fund that holds the top 500 largest companies in the United States. And the reason why this is important is because you can invest in these funds with very little money. And now you're holding on to a bunch of different stocks that are diversified, they're different sizes, they're different industries. And that way you can start investing by choosing a whole bunch of different companies versus trying to pick stocks. And so not only that's just one example of an index fund. Another example is what's called a total world stock market index fund, which holds every single stock market more or less in one fund, every single stock, sorry, more or less in one fund. So the point is that with investments like index funds, which is just a type of mutual fund, if you're listening and asking what's the difference between mutual funds, index funds are just a, a fund that holds a group of stocks that in, is has some type of like relationship to each other. And that way you can invest in all these things at one time versus trying to pick stocks. And a lot of people will say, how do I like choose index funds? How many do I need? I was just going to ask, how exactly do you go about doing that? And also, before I forget to ask, how much money do you need to start investing in in an index fund? Like $5. Like you don't need a lot of money. There's something called fractional shares. So you can invest depending on the brokerage, which is just the, the bank essentially that you would use to open up an account. You don't need a lot of money. So the, the steps would go as follows. You would pick the first thing is to pick a brokerage account. So if in you're in the US that's something like Fidelity or Vanguard or some kind a brokerage is just a place to buy and sell stocks. So that's the first step. The second step is choosing that account whether it's a regular old investing account or some kind of retirement account like an ISA or a Roth IRA if you're in the US. Um 
And those are just, they're just accounts. They're just a place to hold your money. And then, so if you think about it, like rushing nesting dolls almost, right? Like the outside is like the brokerage. That's the place where you're going to buy and sell the stocks. Then you choose which account you want to invest in. And some that could be a retirement account that helps you save on taxes. It could be just like a regular brokerage. And then once you have that account, inside that account, you use the money that's in there to buy index funds. Right. Okay. So that's kind of the order. And how do you go about choosing the brokerage or bank? How, how do you even know where to start? How, how do you pick? Yeah, there's a lot of different options. So in the in the US, there are three main brokerages that are sort of the gold standard. And a lot of them have like really low transaction fees and they are really easy to navigate. If you just Google best brokerage accounts for beginner, if you Google that in the US, you're probably going to get Charles Schwab, Fidelity, uh, Vanguard. I'm going to Google it for UK, um, the UK right yeah. now so we can see. So if you say five best online stockbrokers for the UK, we have Interact eToro. I've heard a lot of um, Capital.com, Pepperstone. A lot of them are very similar. Yeah. I would just pick one <laughs> if they have low fees. A lot of them all hold the same types of funds. They all have the same index funds inside of them. Index funds do vary by country, but they all have the same funds. So any kind of like reputable brokerage, you'll be able to, you'll top five. Kind of, best I guess brokerage. it's much of a muchness when you're talking about the sort of main, the to like say about the, the top five, for example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so picking a brokerage is important, but, and making sure that they don't have like fees or whatever. And, and you, you'll be able to figure that out pretty quickly. And then the next step is figuring out what type of account you want to invest in. Um, but the truly the, the hardest part of this is figuring out the, the, how much money you can actually invest per month and then setting that up automatically to buy whatever investments you choose. And you don't have to choose a lot, right? Because these index funds hold all these different stocks you just need a couple to be pretty well diversified. You don't have to be buying and selling stocks. And quite frankly, one big myth that people have about investing is that, you know, you have to time the market, right? Like when is the market going up? When is the market going down? Study after study after study shows that people that try to time the market typically have a lower return than people that just consistently invest over a long period of time because the market fluctuates so much. If you miss the best days in the market, which often happen during periods like we are in right now at the time of this recording, which is May 2023, the market is doing crazy stuff. It went down a ton last year, but it's had some huge days this year. And if you were trying to time it, there's no way you can do that. No one can time the stock market, not Warren Buffett, not any, any famous investor of all time has ever been able to time it. So the easiest thing is just to continue to invest consistently and yeah. increase that amount over time. And so once you set it up, you would just carry on. It's not like you have to, you know, it's not like you'd have to think about it every month. Oh, what mm -hmm. am I going to choose this month? So you you set it up, you choose what you're going to invest in, what kind of account, and and then, you know, boom, you're good to go and you just keep investing. And then presumably you can up the amount of money that you invest um, month by month or, or, or over time. Um, exactly. One thing I'd like to ask Tess actually is, um, by the way, on a completely and utterly random side note, I have to say, 
I love the name Tess. It's oh, thank you. <laughs> one, it's one, do you know, it's one of my favorite names. Um, that's so random, but anyway, it just came to mind. Thank I you. Love the name Tess, it's gorgeous. Um, I've forgotten what I was going. What the fuck I was going to ask? I know what I was going to ask. If you're if you're dealing with somebody like me, <laughs> it's all about me. Um, if you are dealing with somebody like me who is forty seven years old and has never invested in any index in index funds, I can't even say the word. Um, what would you suggest the older woman might? invest in you know if you're not someone age 25 who's got you know hopefully like many 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 decades left you know somebody like me who's 47 years old where can I start it's a great question so this all comes back to goal setting so the first thing that we would need to understand is what are your short-term and long-term goals and the reason I say that is because as we, as we were just kind of talking about, the stock market fluctuates. So if you have a short-term goal to buy a house or a car or some significant purchase in the next three years, that's money that you probably don't want to invest because the stock market could be down when you try to go buy something. Five years time, it's very unlikely that the stock market would be down, historically speaking, based on, based on data. But the next, if you need the money in the near future, that's not money that you'd probably want to invest in the stock market. That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing is that if you are in your late 40s or 50s even, there's still time for you to invest before retirement. You just want to make sure that you understand when you're going to need that money for the same reason that I just explained. Because if you're going to retire in five years and you're going to need that money, you want to make sure that you're investing it in such a way that if the market fluctuates, you're not going to have a big decrease in what you're investing in. So one thing that I teach in my online program is how to decrease your risk. If you're investing and in, you're in your 40s and you don't want to see your account fluctuate and you're willing to have a little bit of a lower return for less fluctuation because you might be needing that money sooner, you can invest in a little less risky investments called bonds. So most portfolios are made up of two types of assets, um, stocks and bonds. Stocks are an ownership in a company. Bond is basically like an IOU. It's like loaning a bank or a government or a municipality or a company money, and then they pay you back that money with interest. It's really just like a loan. So the same thing is true for stock market index funds, there's bond market index funds, and you can increase or decrease the percentage in each one to either increase your risk and potential return or decrease your risk and, and decrease your potential return, but make it a little bit less risky. So there's a few different ways to categorize your money in such a way that if something happens, you have access to it. And that just all comes back to education. So once you know, okay, this is my goal. This is what I need in the short term. My goal is to retire at 65 or whatever it is, then you can start to figure out how much of that money are you comfortable with knowing that it might fluctuate over the next 20 years and how much money do you really need to make sure that, you know, you have available in case you need it in the next couple of years. Yeah. Thanks, Tess. Um, one question actually that's just come to mind. Um, what about single women? What Can you speak to them at all in terms of, is, are there any tips that you can give single women specifically to help them because obviously it's very different 
being single financially than it is being in a couple. Um, what would you say to that? I would say two things. The first thing I would say is that if it feels hard to get by and you're feeling like you're struggling because rent's really high or just the cost of living alone is certainly higher than sharing it with a partner. So the first thing I want to do is just validate you if you're in that position. I have been in that position for for many years. And so it is it is very frustrating when you see other couples and they can share expenses and you're just like, this is not cool for me. I have so much more responsibility. So first thing I'm going to do is validate you. But but, but, but at the same time, it is an incredible opportunity to take control of your finances in a way that's much harder when you're with somebody else, because you can decide what are the values, what are my values and attitudes towards money and where do I want to get to in a partnership that's harder. Your partner might have different ideas on spending. They might be more risk averse or less risk averse. You have the opportunity to craft your own financial journey in a way that can put you in a really nice place that allows you to do the things that are important to you, whether that's spend more time with family or travel more or whatever it is. So, you know, I've been, you know, in and out of relationships single for for periods of my life and being single gives you the opportunity to take responsibility for your financial future, but also set it up in a way that works for you so you can create a life on your terms. So it is a little bit more daunting, but it's also an opportunity to get really educated in financial literacy. And in some ways, it's easier to move forward because you don't have to worry about somebody else. And if you want to spend a year you know, getting ahead, paying off debt, not spending money on a bunch of travel. You don't need to do that. You can decide how you want to make sure that you set yourself up for success. And then maybe you spend more money later. That's just one example. But I think there is a lot of stigma around being a single, single woman and, and that it's much harder to get ahead. And it's true. Like, it, obviously, it's true. It's, it's hard to, it, it is definitely more expensive to be single than to be in a partnership. But I think at the same time, there's also a lot of opportunity to create a really cool life and be in a good financial spot. So pros and cons. Totally. And also, let's not forget that quite often what comes with being single is not having children. So right. <laughs> right. saving right there, just to put it out there. I mean, obviously you can have kids, you know, you can have kids when you're single, of course, but a lot of single people don't have kids. Um, speaking of which, now I know that you yourself are currently single and don't have kids. Tell me a little bit about where you are with that. How do you, how do you feel about it? Yeah, so I, I feel, first of all, great about it right now. And I have always believed that, well, not always, maybe it took me a little while to get here, but when I look back at my relationships, a lot of them have been really great and I've met some great people and there's been value in that partnership. But the times that I have been single, I've seen the most growth personally from a personal development perspective, from a financial education perspective. I started educating all of myself on all this stuff because I was single and because I knew that nobody was coming to save me financially. So I'm very grateful for that experience because it forced me to kind of learn this stuff. And now it's such an empowering, confident feeling to say, if I want to be in a relationship, I can, but I certainly don't need one. So I am very grateful for that. And that was 10, 10 years of hard lessons learned and hustle and struggle. But now that I'm here, I'm very excited because now I can, if I want to get back to a relationship, I can take my time. I don't have a sense of urgency. 
And, you know, obviously, if you want kids, there is some urgency there, depending on how old you are. But I will also say that not having kids also gave me the opportunity to save and invest more money in ways that's really hard when you're a parent. Nothing wrong with having kids, but it is so expensive to have a child. And I think at least in the U.S., I saw some data that was the average child cost three hundred thousand dollars over like until they go to college, which is an insane amount of money. Yeah. And so just thinking about that, you know, if, if you are somebody that that either chose to not have kids or you can or you haven't been in the right situation, there is opportunity in that to make some really smart choices and you have a little bit more of a buffer or a margin to be able to grow your own wealth. So I am so to answer your question to come full circle here. I am very grateful my life turned out the way it did. And while there were times when I, you know, wish I maybe had a relationship that lasted longer, not having children and not being in a relationship is why I have money today. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting here to to hear. Thank you for that. Now, Tess, before we think about wrapping up, can you talk a little bit about your course, how you can serve people if anybody wants to work with you. I'd love, you've mentioned your online course. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, I'm on Instagram as Wealth with Tess and I share a ton of free information there. So if you're not following me there, follow me there. I also shout out a lot of other financial creators. There's an amazing community of people creating financial content in like non-financial bro-y language on the internet. So Definitely give me a follow there. And then I also have a five-week online program that teaches you the basics of investing and kind of walks through some of the steps that we talked about today. So the first week is really money mindset, busting common myths about investing. The second week is walking you through various ways to and understand your budget and to learn how to intentionally spend your money and spend things on, on spend money on things that matter. And then we get into the basics. There's of actual investing. There's a whole module on different types of retirement accounts, um, different brokerage accounts. What stocks, like we go back to the basics, like what is a stock? What is a bond? Um, And that's what we need because we don't learn that in high school or college. And it's information that everyone thinks that everybody else knows, but we don't learn it anywhere. So we go back to the basics, no assumptions made. And then the last week is kind of tying it all together and, and creating some sample very simple investment portfolios, which just means a group of a couple investments you invest in and figuring out how to automate it. So it's a five-week program. It includes live coaching with me. It's an awesome group of people too. Now we have a Slack channel and everyone's like answering each other questions and they're creating accountability and it's super cool. So it is a very cool place to learn. So if you are interested, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And and the best way is to to follow me on on Instagram and then get on my email list um, and I keep people updated. It sounds, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a great course. It sounds like I could do with it, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, Now, do, do you also do one-to-one coaching as well? One-to-one financial coaching? Once in a while, depending on the situation, I don't have a ton of open spots for that. um, But occasionally I do. So we're definitely worth shooting me an email. I'll drop my email so you can put it in in the show notes. And if someone wants to chat, sometimes I have open spaces, um, but they usually get filled pretty quick. So the best way is to get on my email list. And then that way you'll know when I have open spots. 
Okay. Um, Tess, it's been so fabulous to speak to you. What an interesting conversation. Thank you so, so much. But before we wrap up, I know you said you're at Wealth with Tess on Instagram. Where else can people find you and, and, and follow you, like website and all that stuff? Sure. It's a, thank you. It's a wealthwithtest.com. I'm on um, TikTok as well, Wealth with Tess. And then I also, I have some free guides. What, I, what I'll do is I'll drop in the, in the show notes or I'll, I'll send you the link for the show notes, uh, a free guide of investing terms. And it's just 26 investing terms you need to know in non-financial jargon description and then why they matter. And it's a good like reference guide. So that's probably a really good place to start. And then you'll be on my email list. So fabulous thank you so so much um it's been really great to talk to you likewise thank you so much for having me this was awesome and i love what you're doing it's so important and and so valuable to understand there's so many different ways to live your life and i just love it oh thanks tess thank you so much um it was it was great to meet you lots of love likewise thank you so much for listening to this episode of spinsterhood reimagined now would you consider leaving me a review um, I know I say this at the end of every episode, but I have to just get it in there because reviews are so, so, so incredibly important to somebody like me. Um, if you have already left me a review, thank you so much. And if you haven't, please consider leaving me one. It'll only take you a matter of minutes, but it really will mean the world to me. So yeah, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't use Apple, then you can always leave a rating on Spotify. Either would be balls. And if you do leave a review, then do take a screenshot, send it to me at lucy at lucymegason.com. And I will write back and personally thank you for doing so. Follow me on Instagram at Spinsterhood Reimagined, on Twitter at Lucy Megason. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Lucy Megason. Okie doke, I think that's it. Except to say, see you back here on Saturday. And remember, one day I'm going to get Jennifer Aniston on this podcast. Yes, I am. See you later. Bye.